the swivel chair. This is exactly what uh, too many of us deal with, right? You know, you take a simple thing like adding a new employee to a company. You're going to take that employee's first name and last name, maybe their social security number, and enter it into six, seven, maybe 15 different systems before you're done, right? You're going to put them in HR, you're going to put them in benefits and payroll and so many different places. That's a waste of human time. Robotic process automation, or RPA. This technology is becoming the darling of enterprises the world over. And it's helping automate countless processes within these companies. And it's not just creating efficiencies, but empowering organizations to improve in every corner of their business. Now, in this episode of Cloud Talk, we dig deep into all things RPA. Now, while you listen, it's a great time to subscribe to Cloud Talk and to even give us one of those those coveted five-star reviews, it really does make a difference. And now, the March of the Robots. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Diverter. Well, welcome back to another episode of Cloud Talk. So I am joined today by uh, a member of the company Automation Anywhere, one of the leaders in the uh, robotic process or uh, automation or RPA space. Uh, I'm joined by Rajesh Radhakrishnan. Uh, Rajesh, welcome to Cloud Talk. I'm so glad you're here. Jeff, thank you so much for having me. And, uh, you know, you get special points for pronouncing my last name well. So, um, Rajesh, we spent some time uh, ahead of this talking about, um, you know, a little bit about the company uh, and, and the whole market of RPA. But what I wanted to start with is just learning a little bit more about you. You know, you've been with the company for three years, but what, tell us a little bit about your journey to get there. So, you know, my background, I started off as a software developer. So I started off with a bachelor's and master's in computer science, uh, went to Brown for my master's, and then very quickly found my way to Silicon Valley. Uh, I worked at companies like Oracle, worked at companies like Mercury Interactive, which were bought by HP. In the late 90s, I was actually part of one of these uh, uh, dot-com startups. It was a company called Healthion that was acquired by WebMD. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I also worked at companies like Veritas. So a lot of experience with product management and product marketing in software companies. Um, when Mercury was acquired by HP, I actually switched and moved into services. And I ran a large part of the services organization for the HP EDS combined company in the Americas. Uh, then became a chief revenue officer at a company called Global Logic. Uh, and then, you know, uh, I, I, you know, we successfully sold that company to a private equity. And after that, uh, you know, I took some time off uh, advising a few PEs and VCs. And then this opportunity with automation anywhere came by. And, you know, it's one that I just couldn't say no to. Very exciting opportunity, very exciting space. And so I grabbed that with both hands. That's really interesting. And we'll we'll dig more into uh, into the automation anywhere piece in just a second. But just a couple of questions um, and it's a little bit off topics and we didn't prep for this, but I'd love your opinion. And you mentioned, uh, of course, you got a, a bachelor's and a master's in computer science. 
And I find it also interesting that there, you know, there's a lot of non-computer science things in what you just told us in your resume. But the world has changed a whole lot, especially in IT. Now, you coming into this with, with an advanced degree, what is your opinion of advanced degrees in tech today? You know, there, there's a lot of certificate programs. There's a lot of boot camp type stuff. You know, when do they make sense? And, and, when do, and there's a threshold, I believe, that, that, it, that you know, you can, you can go a long way without one. But you hit a threshold at some point. Yeah, I think, you know, increasingly software seems to be eating the world, right? I think every industry is getting consumed in some way by software, right? Obviously, it started, you know, retail is getting consumed by software with Amazon. Your cars are getting consumed by software. And having a sense of what software can do or not do is, is important, right? If I came to most people and I say, can your car fly to the moon? You know right away that your car can't fly to the moon. You know what your car can do and what it can't do. Similarly, having an understanding of what software can do and cannot do is important. So, you know, getting the certifications on software is helpful. Doing courses in software is helpful. Uh, you know, typically most people will forget or not use that uh, later in their life. But I think what's most important to know is what can software do and what can software not do and how best to leverage it. Because at the end of the day, it's a tool uh, in the broader scope of things. It's not... You know, there are going to be things that humans always have to do, and there are going to be things that software can do. And how do you make those two work together in the most effective way? That's what people really need to understand. Gotcha. And I wonder if, you know, I, I, well, let me ask this question first. How, kind of, and I think you're going to extrapolate on that, did your, your computer science degrees help you as uh, a CFO, I believe you mentioned? CRO, Chief Revenue Officer. Chief CFO. There was money involved somewhere. So, you, you know, it's, uh, what's useful there is uh, you, you have a more intrinsic understanding of the problem, right? So what at least I've always tried to do is, uh, you know, be able to understand the problem both from a technical perspective, but also from a business perspective. And, you know, clearly my technical knowledge, I'd be the first to tell you, you know, after so many years of not using it, uh, you know, on a daily basis, you know, I'm not the most technical person by any means. But I, I understand enough to be able to correlate it to how it solves the business problem. And that's really what is fun and interesting to me, uh, is how you use the technology to solve the business problems and what could you do that could be innovative in that combination of business and technology. Uh, that's what makes it fun. So speaking about how software solves business problems, that sure sounds like a big part of what Automation Anywhere is uh, what their place is in the world. What was it that drew you to the company? I mean, you're kind of living that Silicon Valley, advising PEs and, and venture firms uh, kind of lifestyle, but, but now you're back to a real job uh, and have been for the past three years. What was it about the company that drew you in? You know, it's really the, the premise of Automation Anywhere. The, you know, the fundamental premise of this company is that Automation has existed for 30 years. And still, the percentage of tasks, the percentage of uh, things that need to be automated that have been automated is very, very low. And the question is, why is that? And the reason is that all automation has really been built for IT professionals. So for you to you know, create automation, you need to have a computer science degree or you need to have an advanced certification in computer science. That's the only way you can create automation. Everybody else who's a business user doesn't know how to create automation. 
The idea of robotic process automation is to create a solution that business users could use to automate their task. So imagine that your marketing professional, your sales professional, your human resource professional is able to automate their own tasks because the automation is so simple for them to create and use that they can do it themselves. That is the vision of RPA. And that for me was incredibly compelling because I, I've, I've seen this gap uh, in the market. And this is the reason why we've automated so little uh, in terms of processes, right? I mean, you think about folks in marketing who are copying spreadsheets, you know, one row at a time into a, you know, a system or salespeople who are, you know, assembling a quote into an Excel spreadsheet instead of pressing a button and getting it created for them. You know, these are all examples where automation can go a very long way. And when people can teach robots how to do some of these things, which is how RPA works, you show a robot how to do some of these things, and then a robot can actually, a software robot can actually do it for you. Uh, so that, that's what was compelling, and that's what got me excited. Interesting. Uh, that, that stat on the percentage of tasks that are actually automated, even after all these years, is is astounding. Absolutely astounding. And I think your point is well well founded in that, you know, the, the things that have been done have been things that software engineers could do. But the real power or the real gap has been all of this swivel chair activity that you just, you know, defined of somebody copying things from one system to another. I'm guilty of having, I can think of many times I've had to sat, sit and do that. But now that, you know, software like this, that a business user would be able to, to even, even um, be able to go off and do is, is pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. Yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, you described one of the key examples, which is the swivel chair. This is exactly what uh, too many of us deal with, right? Uh, where, you know, you take a simple thing like adding a new employee to a company. You're going to take that employee's first name and last name, maybe their social security number, and enter it into six, seven, maybe 15 different systems before you're done, right? You're going to put them in HR, you're going to put them in benefits and payroll and so many different places. That's a waste of human time. Yeah, I was giving an example the other day when, you know, uh, just describing it to someone, uh, what RPA did. And I said, well, imagine a new employee gets hired at the, at the organization and all of a sudden they're registered in the main, whatever main system the HR has. How many companies then does somebody swivel chair, put them into AD, create their email account, send them a welcome email, send a note to their manager that they showed up, register them for a new hire, all things that individuals probably sit and spend 30 minutes per employee to, to get done as opposed to, you know, these are very known elements that need to happen and happen every time. Yeah, it's a great candidate, I would think, for uh, an, a bot to go off and solve. Uh, you're absolutely right. And actually, it's, in some ways, it's even worse, right? I mean... You're the HR manager, a new employee joins. You order a laptop for them. Did the laptop get ordered? Is it showing up in time? Is it not showing up in time? It's you know it's actually even more painful than that uh, few seconds of having to swivel chair and do it. It's 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 pretty bad. So you know if the bot could actually order the laptop and confirm that for you, all of a sudden you're in a very very different place out there. So. Very different place. And, uh, you know, as I was doing my own research into all of this, and I will be transparent and say that when I started looking into all this back, uh, oh, it was, it was uh, in the fall, um, I was pretty naive as to what RPA actually was. And as I dug into it, I was like, this is a real problem. And these solutions, like what, what you guys have in Automation Anywhere, are real solutions. And I was looking at some of the, the, the you know, things that have happened, the trends over the past several years as you know the the solution that industry had for a lot of this wasn't to necessarily solve the problem or look for software 
is the amount of these types of jobs they were just they were just sent overseas well let's just offshore them let's if we have to do it let's at least find somebody who would be cheaper to do and one of the the benefits of rpa is as as uh, people are adopting it in organizations is these jobs are now coming back they're being repatriated to the us and to these businesses but at a higher paying individual and creates an amazing um, uh, employment path for for folks who before were swivel chairing but you know what it was a pretty boring job but they had something that a lot that nobody else really has and that is domain knowledge of the problems they were solving and so now they become extraordinarily valuable as long as they can learn the tool set yeah you know i think you you've described it perfectly Jeff. so i, I you know i'll just take a, a a real example and kind of lay that out in that in that framework that you just described so you take something like invoice processing uh, you know, maybe 20 years ago, the invoice processing happened right there in the company's headquarters. And somebody who really understood the business did the invoice processing. It was an expensive resource and they did it. Then, you know, as you pointed out, uh, what happened is that we outsourced a lot of this work. We defined very clear rules and we said, look, if the invoice is less than this much, if there's an associated purchase order, then you should be able to pay it. We're going to send this job, you know, to the Philippines, to India, and somebody there is going to do that processing. And you've got, you know, very clear defined rules. You don't want them to violate any of those rules, and they do it. And then they will, at some point, maybe send some exceptions, or they will we'll deal with exceptions in some other way. Now that you've defined the rules so clearly, a bot can basically do this, right? A bot can say, if my invoice amount is less than this much, if there's a match of a PO, I'm going to, I'm going to prove it. And if it doesn't, then I'm going to escalate it to this person who actually happens to be an expert, who may be in the headquarters, who actually understands the business and now only looks at four or five percent of the volume of invoices, not the rest of them. And for that four or five percent, they're very important and very meaningful because you don't want to approve that million dollar invoice without somebody who really understands this looking at it. So, you know, I think you're absolutely right. This is uh, it's an opportunity to kind of redefine how we do work where bots and humans are collaborating with each other much more effectively. And, you know, you're taking out the robot from the human in some ways, but you're allowing the human to really be more human, which is to make the decisions the way they need to. Right. And isn't that the hardest part of any software um, software project? And that is define the requirements and define the rules um, because those all that always has to get pulled out of the business because because the software engineers are often, or they're always writing software that matches a business case that humans are trying to solve for, whatever that thing might be. Um, and through that whole offshoring process, all those rules got defined, which made going through this quite interesting. And and I looked at, um, I was looking at the people who are doing that types of work. So people who get really smart in automation anywhere or any of your so-called competitors. Um, you know, these could be people having domain knowledge, doing the swivel chair stuff effectively hourly employees. Um, and so hourly employees means, of course, it's, it's not a high paying job. Uh, it's not going to come with benefits. It's not going to come with all the other things, maybe not even official employment with the company. But now that you, you have that type of a skill, somebody can go off and acquire that in relatively short order. Like we talked about earlier today in, you know, go get a certificate or uh, attend some classes on how automation anywhere works, become good at it. And now these people on average are making $97,000 a year. Uh, at least that's the out of the research that I found. And that's a significant job in today's marketplace. You know, this is actually a very important point, which is, you know, the, the, 
the promise of RPA and what we've seen and how, seen how effective it's been with our customers is you don't need this incredible advanced degree to get good at RPA and actually implement RPA and use it. So some of our customers have really taken this to heart. They've opened up RPA to their entire employee base and they've said, look, here, take this, learn this capability, use it to automate what you're doing. That doesn't mean you've taken out your job. You've just become incredibly more valuable, not only to our company, but out there in the market as well. Uh, so one of the large uh, telecom, te- telecom providers in the United States, uh, there's three of them, so one of them, um, mm-hmm. basically opened this up to all their employees. And, you know, one of the most interesting bots that was built was built by a junior employee who helped them increase their revenue significantly because they were able to calculate at a fractional level, you know, how much in terms of fractions of seconds people were using over their limits and so on. So they were able to generate revenue for the company this way. So, you know, this kind of person not only gets called out in town halls and team meetings, gets promotions within the company, but when they go outside this company, they have the ability to, you know, get a job in this space and it's a much higher paying job to your point. That's impressive. And um, it, it makes me think a lot of just as we look at ways to create greater value, that's one of those ways to create greater value, not just for the individual, but for the organization. We use a lot of a similar type of a concept, you know, Rackspace as a company that provides support for 120,000 customers around the world, you can imagine the amount of, of support tickets that come in, whether they're system generated or whether they're um, racker or customer generated. And we use um, uh, uh, AI ops to help weed through and solve those simple, I call them the noisy tickets. They need to get dealt with, um, but that doesn't necessarily need to be a human who deals with them because we've defined rules and the things then go and get solved. And the example I give to our customers is we're just removing the hay from all of the things that are going on so that they can get to the needle and our smart people can solve that one problem. To your point, go in and automate jobs. Let's get rid of the noise from our day and utilize what's the best about us as individuals inside of that organization and our talents to make a significant impact. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head because, you know, I wish I had something like that for my for my inbox on a regular basis that just took out all the clutter and then, you know, put the things that I really need to focus on, uh, you know, on top. Well, we see AI starting to do that sort of thing. Uh, I think Gmail's got a really good filter about getting the you know stuff that doesn't need to be focused on. Uh, Outlook does a similar thing. If you're in 365, there's there's there, there's still effort. I still get a lot of there's still a lot of noise there. Unfortunately, I guess that next holy grail is: can you please action on the things that are easy for me to action on and just make it happen? Then I don't have to. Yeah. Respond. So this is actually a very interesting combination, which is AI and RPA together. Uh, and I actually run a, a number of the business units uh, that are focused in that area. And the goal there is to do exactly what you said, which is use that AI to figure out how to potentially to, to, you know, you know, take out the hay, as you said, from what's really important, and then action a bot associated with it. So you know, I'll give you a couple of simple examples, right? So uh, you know, we've all dealt with chatbots, and chatbots can be quite painful at times because it's hard to create them, hard to program them. It's not that easy. But what they can be used for is at the very top level just to understand what your intent is. So imagine that I had a chatbot and you know you wrote to it, you wrote into the chatbot and said, I want to take a vacation. And it immediately pops up a form for you that you fill out, and then a bot executes everything at the back end behind that. 
So it goes very quickly from understanding your intent and then saying, let me go execute something like that for you. So you, you can do something similar with email over time. It's not all there today, where you can look at that email and say, here's the email, Jeff, here's how I want, I think we should action it. Click yes if you agree and go. Well, are we getting into the realm of where we're separating and, and leaving robotic process automation? I would define that very, you know, in my own terms as clearly defined rules of how to behave every time to cognitive automation, where we have an idea of what the rules are, but we may need to stray outside. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting, uh, you know, that, that differentiation between robotic process automation and cognitive automation, I, I think for most of us, it's an evolution of the RPA space more than anything else. Mm. But yes, we have cognitive bots that do what you're saying, where you know one of our cognitive bots reads documents, for example. And you know, you know, when you read an invoice, some invoices have the invoice number on the top left, some of them have it on the bottom right. And as humans, we can just figure that out. It's just natural to us. Our cognitive bots can do the same thing. They can figure it out. They can probably figure it out 85% of the time. There may be 15%, we still go back to the user and to the customer and say, hey, I couldn't understand what's going on out here because I couldn't even see an invoice number. Uh, but at least you've taken out a lot of the noise in the system. You've been able to process a significant percentage automatically. So that's a great example of where cognitive bots are starting to come in. Got it. All right, we've been circling around um, uh, auto and, and discussing automa uh, Automation Anywhere, the company, of course, that you work for. You, let's rewind the clock on them a little bit. How did how did they get to this place of, of prominence? Because they didn't just you know show up yesterday. Kind of take us through the company's evolution. You know, it's a fascinating story, right? I mean, this is a company which is about 17 years old. Uh, the first, I'd say, 13 years or so, uh, completely bootstrapped. Uh, four founders, uh, uh, you know, working very closely with each other, bootstrapped completely, uh, you know, built up an incredible company, uh, which was growing at well over 100% year on year, uh, you know, phenomenal customer retention, our customer retention numbers, uh, over 98%, which is kind of unheard of in the market and in the industry. Uh, so just a fantastic company. And then at, uh, you know, about, about four years ago, I think is the time, uh, is when, uh, uh, the company decided that it was time to really expand in a very big way. And uh, we took money at that time. We took money from a variety of sources. Now Salesforce is actually our largest investor. Um, <clears throat> Workday is also one of our investors. We have a few uh, uh, of the VCs invested in us as well. Um, and what, what we really end up with is now the capital required to really expand the scope of the company go into all the geographies. So a company that was primarily focused in North America, a little bit in the UK, <clears throat> in India. Now you're able to expand that out into Japan and Korea, <clears throat> Singapore and Australia. But at the same time, you also add in the new product lines. So as you mentioned, going from RPA to cognitive bots into process discovery, which allows you to find the processes to actually automate as well, uh, to really driving this human-bot collaboration in a much bigger way, where humans and bots can collaborate with each other, humans can escalate to other humans, and really create a much more comprehensive solution out here. So it's really given us the capital to expand the product portfolio, expand what we do, of course, from a marketing perspective, but also expand our sales footprint and our services footprint across the world. 
So where what are, where has the geography expanded? Where do you where have you seen significant growth um, outside of where you had been before? Jeff, all I can tell you is that I can't sleep anymore. Uh, there was a time <laughs> that I was there was clearly times of the day that you know most people weren't awake, but now uh, you know the expansion has been rapid in Asia, <clears throat> a lot of expansion in Japan, Korea, you know, in uh, Singapore, uh, in Australia. Latin America has been huge for us. Uh, we've done extremely well in Latin America, uh, expanding into continental Europe um, from the UK, where we were already strong. Um, you know, we're starting to do things in, you know, all kinds of places. We're doing things in Africa. We're doing things in Russia. Uh, so it, it's now going everywhere. Everywhere. Okay, so give us a sense. So that's a geographic scale. Um, give us a customer size scale. Uh, let's say of the Fortune 500, um, you know, how's your penetration there? So I don't have the exact percentage where, you know, RPA is an over 80 plus percent of the Fortune 500. <clears throat> and I think automation anywhere counts, you know, somewhere in the 70, 80 percent kind of range in terms of that uh, Fortune 500 companies as our customers. So it's very significant. We have at this time, you know, thousands of customers. Uh, I think that exact number might be 4,000 or something like that. So significant numbers of customers. Uh, and uh, you know, people are just getting started with this journey, to be honest with you, Jeff. I think most people start where they begin with a couple of bots, they see the value, and then they add a couple more. And then someone, uh, you know, senior looks at this and says, wow, look what you did here. Why don't you go do this in all these other places? Go drive an entire program here. And all of a sudden, they get an executive mandate to go drive a program on RPA. And all of a sudden, you got a brand new job. Brand new and a that's brand right. new opportunity, and and that's what I think is so exciting about it because it's another way for people who are even you could say stuck in a in a sort of dead end job or a job very much dead end job or or one that's going to be you know sent to another country in short order. Now all of a sudden you know you're meeting with executives and you're um, you're very much measuring an increase in performance because you're you're again go back to getting rid of the noise, getting rid of the the hay, and and letting the company work on the things that are the most important. Um, are there industries where where RPA rings truer, or if you have a business and that business has repeatable jobs, is that just the 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 prime market for it? I think you know it is very much a horizontal cross industry. Uh, obviously, our successes have been have come initially much more in banking, uh, in uh, insurance <clears throat> industries, which have had to build very specific processes and document them because they're so regulated in terms of what they do. Uh, we're seeing a lot of success, obviously, in manufacturing, supply chain. Again, things that have had to get very regulated, especially as the complexity has increased so much. You know, supply chain with, you know, your supply chain spanning the entire world. If you don't have that well automated, you're in real trouble with that. So one of the other interesting areas, by the way, is, uh, you know, especially when I look at, you know, your customers from a Rackspace perspective, and you look at that central IT team, you know, the way RPA has really evolved over time has been business units picking this up, like the finance team picking it up or the HR team picking it up and driving it. At some point, you know, the CIO looks at this and says, wait a minute, what's going on here? How do I put this in the right framework? How do I have the right kind of governance in place out here? How does this connect with everything else that I'm doing? You know, I, I have APIs that I use within my organization to integrate various systems. How does all this connect together? And I think that is exactly where we are now with many of our customers. 
where the CIOs who are driving very often digital transformation pro programs look at RPA and say there's a great way where the digital transformation is not just done in IT, but everybody is involved in that digital transformation. How do I then define that governance in an effective way in which I'm setting a set of rules so that you know we're not impacting security, we're not impacting any of the other compliance issues that we have, but at the same time, I'm giving freedom to people so they can innovate and come up with these business processes that they automate, uh, and I'm giving them the freedom to operate. So this, I think, has become a very, very big topic. And as we've been working more and more with CIOs, uh, we spend a ton of time on this area. And you know, the other topic is about how we work with APIs. And you know, I think there's a very clear place where APIs are relevant, where RPA is relevant, and the CIOs have been doing a fantastic job of putting all that together and driving that transformation at their companies. So you bring up a really interesting point, uh, and it, it reminds me, I started my career um, well, a long, long time ago um, in uh, in the SharePoint space. And SharePoint was one of those, those applications that sort of a lot of times snuck into an organization. It was all of a sudden, some dev or some someone would have it running on a workstation under their desk on all the free versions of stuff. And very quickly, core parts of the business were now running on this workstation under somebody's desk that, uh, you know, they, they would find some more memory or find some more disk if they ran behind. And then something would go awry uh, or somebody would find out about it and either, hey, how are we going to manage to control this? Or that system had an issue and somebody raised their hand then to IT and said, hey, you have to stop whatever you were doing and come fix this because, by the way, our, our 50 most important customers have data on this thing. And RPA, I think, could be one of those as well, um, depending on how it gets implemented, how it comes into the organization that could, I don't want to say sneak in, but it could come in under the radar of central IT in, in some cases. So I think your point around as it grows and gets to a certain level, getting the right governance in place, getting the right management, and that's always the balance in tools like this is how do we have enough controls in place, but allow enough freedom for those business users to create uh, to create that. Is there anything in automation anywhere that, that kind of helps set those those boundaries or those governance plans? Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. I think, you know, it, it's, a, it's a story similar to what you saw at SharePoint, but also slightly different because the organizations that are implementing this, it's not usually individuals, it's usually organizations like finance, mm. which have their own rules. So, you know, it isn't quite the wild, wild west of the uh, SharePoint, uh, of the SharePoint world. But I do think that when CIOs come in, they do want to get some structure, uh, especially when there are multiple groups implementing it, uh, then especially it becomes important. The way we approach this is really, you know, think about a, a center of excellence, a global center of excellence, which could very often be IT-led, uh, which basically defines the rules and sets up the program. And then you have federated centers of excellence. You might have a federated finance center of excellence and a federated center of excellence for the shared services team, for example. And then you have individuals. And think about this like a democracy, right? Think about it as the federal government, the state government, and individuals, all of whom have rights and responsibilities in a democracy. So what the federal or the, you know, the global COE is doing is really setting the rules to say, look, if you have a bot that touches a system of record, a core system of record, then you cannot implement that bot unless you know a good a group of people look at it, validate it, verify it, et cetera. But if you're changing a system of engagement, 
that's not a core system. Go at it. Don't worry about it. No need needs. To, no one needs to review it. Uh, they might set rules like, hey, we want to run in the cloud, which, by the way, you know, automation anywhere. We provide all of this in the of our software in the cloud, or we want to run parts on prem, parts in the cloud, and what's that flexibility look like? What your state governments or your federated COEs are really doing is being very agile and being very responsive to the business users. So when finance is saying, here are 10 processes I want to automate, they're able to move quickly and automate them very fast. And then individuals have the ability both to run automation, but also to build automation, right? So, you know, the whole power of RPA is that you can build your own automation, or you can actually record an automation and send it to these COEs and say, automate this one for me. Uh, and then, of course, you can use all that automation to do your job. So we're really looking at it in that kind of a structure, and that seems to work very well, uh, you know, especially when we talk to global CIOs who like that kind of, you know, control, but, you know, also giving freedom to others to kind of drive uh, the innovation, if you will. Got it. Now, now, as, um, you know, as I was doing my research off to automationanywhere.com, I went um, was able to sign up for a free account and really just kind of see what it looks like to automate a thing. But describe, you know, just with your words for a moment, what is it like opening the interface? Um, what is what had, what does it look like? What is what is the experience of automating a simple task like like logging into a system, checking a status, and sending an update on that to, to somebody? What would that be like? Yeah, so you know, this is uh, this is very interesting. What you did is something we call a, uh, you know, we, we, we regularly do what we call builder bot sessions, uh, where we get people with no computer science background whatsoever. So marketing professionals, sales professionals, uh, you know, finance staff, we bring them in and we say, Let, let's show you how to build a bot. And within 30 minutes, they've built a bot. And you can see how excited they get with that uh, because, you know, they can actually build a bot right away. <clears throat> so if you take a simple example, <clears throat> You know, you are uh, going to, you know, uh, this is uh, this is holiday shopping time, and your comparison shopping. Right? It's a great, it's a good example of what you're trying to do, and um, the way you comparison shop is you look on Amazon, you look at Walmart, and you know, pick a third. You look at Target.com. You look at these three sites, and you look to see what the price is on these three sites, right? And that's kind of what you're trying to do. Uh, so what you could do is you could build a bot. And the way you build a bot is you say, I'm going to pick up a, you know, uh, the, the name of what I'm looking at from some file, right? So you can always change it. You pick it up from that file. So you actually show the bot how you work. So you open up this interface, you go copy from a file the name of what you're looking for. Then you go and you started the recording as you do this. Then you go to walmart.com and you paste that in. And when you paste that in, you go to where the price is and you highlight that and you copy that and put that into an Excel spreadsheet. Then you open up target.com. You take the copy, the, the, the piece from the file that you had, search, copy the price and put it into an Excel spreadsheet. And you do the same thing with uh, you know whatever the third was, uh, Amazon or Walmart. And at the end of it, you save that spreadsheet. Now, if you change the, what you're looking for, the bot that you just recorded will automatically just work, pick up the new thing that you're looking for, which might be, you know, I don't know, your, uh, <laughs> your you know, some, uh, the latest jacket that you're looking for, for example, 
and go look on these three sites and come back with the prices and show you what that looks like in one single place. So you can see that you can create a very simple bot like this. And this bot can then give you a comparison price across the three. Now, of course, you could make this a lot more sophisticated, right? So for example, you can say it's possible Amazon doesn't have the product, or you can say, you know, it should be a close enough match. It may not be an exact match, but a close enough match. So you can make it a lot more complicated, but a basic bot, uh, you can build pretty quickly in this way. Fascinating. Well, the world is ripe for automation, that's for sure. And then you just sort of just blew our minds by showing a tangible example of something we could use on our on our uh, on our day uh, daily basis. So, um, Rajesh, I want to thank you for being a part of this today. Uh, really fascinating um, what's going on in the space, but more specifically, what you guys are up to over at Automation Anywhere. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. All right. I hope that helps clear up any confusion on what RPA is and shines a light on the impact that it's having the world over. And you know where a lot of these applications and data which reside, which are being automated? On servers from Dell Technology. We over here at Rackspace Solve are so pleased to have Dell Technology back for yet another year of sponsorship of this podcast and everything that we do at Solve. Now, next week at Solve, I'll be bringing you the first in our episode series called The Tech Behind the Industry, where I explore the different tech that's revolutionizing a specific industry. You'll get one of these a month for the next few months. And the first is the tech behind the agriculture industry. You'll hear from businesses and startup venture firms focused on this area from San Antonio to Sydney, Australia. You'll also hear from a Texas cattle rancher and how he's using tech to bring grand champion Wagyu cattle. Here's a quick preview from that episode. There's a McKinsey report from, I think, 2012 or something that has agriculture as the least digitized industry. And you've got all these different rows of, you know, mining and financial services. And down the bottom is agriculture and hunting. And it's like all red across all the columns. And that's been put up at every conference in agriculture for, you know, the last uh, eight, eight to 10 years now. And at some point, it, it started to get really frustrating because you don't spend very much time on a modern large scale farm in the U.S. and Australia and many places in, in the developed world before you realize there's a lot of technology out here. Here. This equipment is very complex. The decisions are highly complex. And, and to your point before, Jeff, there's lots of science as well in how these systems are run in the soil and the agronomy. That said, there are still big gaps between especially the emerging technology world, things like artificial intelligence, things like robotics, and the mainstream adoption in agriculture. One of the first investments we made, we bought a company, a small company called PastureMap. And PastureMap helps regenerative grazers uh, manage their land. The way regenerative uh, agriculture works is you're trying to mimic the way ruminants migrated naturally. Um, and so PastureMap allows you to sort of carve up your land and track where your animals have been um, and track rest periods. Because the main thing you want to do is let your land rest before it gets grazed again. And that's next time on Cloud Talk.